Well, good morning again, everybody. Everybody's dried off, I think, by now, from uh, walking into the church and the rainstorm out there. But looking forward, uh, we're going to jump back, back into Acts. We're going to be in Acts 16, 1 through 15. Acts 16, 1 through 15. And yes, we'll be tying in Mother's Day into the sermon today. So I have the, the privilege of having the, the, the mother of my two kids here with me and my own mother in this congregation. So that's a privilege for me. But I'm looking forward to looking at Acts 16, 1 to 15. We've been going through the snapshots of the early church. And uh, there's so much to learn. So much to learn from the early church. Um, and we have a lot of uh, ways to go. Um, but today we're going to be looking at how the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, guides and transforms us. The Holy Spirit guides us and transforms us. Now, the thing is, you can find that anywhere in the book of Acts. <laughs> Actually, any, any chapter, any segment of Acts we looked at, um, you can see that the Holy Spirit is ultimately the one who's in control, and He's the one who's guiding, and He's the one who's using a different circumstance for, for what He's doing. But we're going to look at one snapshot of this. In fact, people have said that the name of the book is Acts. Well, what's the rest of the Acts of what? Acts of whom? And some people have said, oh, it's the Acts of the Apostles. And others said, no, it's not actually the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's how clearly involved the Holy Spirit is in the early church, guiding and transforming. The truth of the matter is that the Holy Spirit is at work in the whole whole of the book, but sometimes He's in the background, so He's not mentioned by name. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God is not mentioned by name, but it's clear from what's going on that He's at work. And at other times, he's right there in the foreground, right there clearly being talked about that the Holy Spirit is the one who's leading and transforming. But here's the point, friends. The same is true today. Same is true today. We are still his people. He is still God's presence with us. He is still guiding us as a church and as individuals. And he is still doing the work of transformation. Look with me, Acts 16, 1 to 15. And we're going to look at Timothy, the Holy Spirit, and then Lydia. We read these words. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail to Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, 
and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the, si- the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The Holy Spirit works with His people, guiding and transforming them. There's an outline in your bulletin. If you'd like to follow around, uh, follow along there and uh, take notes, you're certainly welcome to do that. We will have the scripture up on the screen. But we look first at verses 1 through 5, looking at this guy, Timothy. Timothy. So Paul comes to the cities of Derbe and Lystra. So these are Gentile towns. This is a mission strip. Basically, they've left the church where they were at. They've gone out into uh, basically uncharted territory when it comes to the gospel. Uh, They've gone to places that are completely pagan. uh, They don't know the Lord Jesus. And they're going there to reach people for Jesus. And uh, there are a handful of believers in perhaps some of the places. Well, he comes to a place where there is a disciple named Timothy. Uh, Timothy is a pretty common uh, person in the New Testament. Actually, we see his name come up here and there. Uh, He's always with Paul. He's sort of a spiritual son to Paul. And uh, Paul has a high view of Timothy. So for example, a couple places in Philippians 2, this is what he writes about him. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, the church that he's sending him. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. There's no one like Timothy. He has that high a view of Timothy. And we're also told about Timothy. Uh, he has a bit of a lineage of faith. Um, from 2 Timothy 1-5. I'm reminded, he says, of Timothy, of your sincere faith. That dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois. And your mother, Eunice. And now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. There's a bit of a heritage of faith we learn from Timothy. Well, we learn in this passage right here in Acts, he's the son of a Jewish woman who was a Christian. So she's a Jewish Christian woman. And then it describes his dad as a Greek. And the assumption, I think, there is that he's not a believer. So he's got a sort of a mixed family. He's raised by a non-Christian dad. Uh, and he's raised by a Christian a Jewish woman. And he has sort of already has a reputation among the believers there. Now, this guy is solid. This young man, he's a young man, we learned that, is a, is a solid believer, loves the Lord genuinely. And so Paul says, I'm taking him along, circumcises him as an adult. We'll look a little bit more at that in a minute. Uh, and then they go along and they pass along a message from Jerusalem. That's in Acts 15. We're not going to look at all that. But basically, encouraging, an encouraging word from Jerusalem to all the churches saying that we accept you as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then some simple guidelines as well. And we learn that the churches are strengthened by their visit and their traveling, popping into different places uh, and their message, and they are growing daily. And just notice that, friends, that when churches connect well with one another, they tend to grow. So that's an important, I think, side note here. That when churches get isolated, they don't, but when they stay connected, there seems to be as if the Lord blesses that. But let's look at Timothy. Timothy is an example to us of somebody, I think, that is ready to go and serve. 
He's just ready to leave. I think I got a picture just of what it might be like. He's sitting there just ready to go. If the Lord calls him, he's going to go. He's a young man. He ends up being a pastor over a group of churches in the city of Ephesus. He has a sort of spiritual father in the faith because his earthly father was not a Christian. Paul, but strongly influenced by his mother and her faith and his grandmother. He's ready to serve. How do we know that? He's even willing to get circumcised as an adult. Now, I know, ladies, you may not realize how difficult that probably is, but that's a, that's a big commitment right there, a very painful commitment that probably took weeks of recovery to have to get circumcised. And he does it because he doesn't want to be a stumbling block. He doesn't want to be, as a Jewish believer, because his mother's Jewish, so if he's considered a Jewish believer, he doesn't want to be seen uh, by the other Jews who are not yet believers in Christ as sort of an outsider. So as an opportunity to be a better witness to them, he's willing to undergo circumcision even as an adult. Not because he needs it to be saved, not because there's any spiritual benefit from it, but simply as a, to remove something that's a stumbling block perhaps to his witness to other Jews. He follows Paul. He leaves home. He leaves his family, which seems like he was close to. He leaves his friends, leaves his hometown, and goes. He sort of has a, a certain humility you can sense. A submissiveness, a, a teachability. And he's, he's willing to put himself, in a sense, under the authority of Paul. And to serve. Friends, I think there's a lot we as Christians can learn from Timothy. First, the influence of a godly mother. Don't miss that. <laughs> the influ- he, in some ways, he could go either way. He could look to his father and his pagan lifestyle and say, I'm my daddy's boy and I'm going to go and follow his steps. But the persistence, no doubt the prayerfulness of his mother, leads him ultimately to faith. And I just want to say, moms who are here, keep praying for your kids. Keep loving your kids. Keep at it with your kids, even if you say, you know, they don't believe. Trust me, you have a voice and an influence that nobody in the world has in their lives. I like uh, Abraham Lincoln said, I remember my mother's prayers and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. You know, if you have a mother who believes in you, right? Even if the world's against you, but you have a mother who believes in you, sometimes you feel like you can do anything. Right, here's what uh, Picasso said. I love this quote from Picasso. He said, My mother said to me, If you are a soldier, you will be a general. If you are a monk, you will become the Pope. Instead, I was a painter, and I became Picasso. <laughs> That's the confidence he had because his mother stood behind him. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, probably overstating it, men are what their mothers made them. <laughs> That's the influence of a godly mother that leads her kids to faith and continues to pray for them and has an influence that nobody else in this world perhaps can have upon them. The second thing I think we learn from Timothy's life is be humble and be teachable. Be humble and be teachable. Find a Paul. That's what Timothy did, right? He, he wants a Paul. He wants somebody who is older in the faith, somebody who is a spiritual father in the faith. Perhaps that's, again, the spiritual father he never had. Somebody who can sort of lead him and encourage him and teach him, friends. 
There's a certain humility. In fact, I would say if, if you're not a teachable person, if you are somebody who always rejects authority, I, I don't know how you'll ever grow as a Christian. He puts himself in a place to learn and to grow and to submit to an authority in his life. I've had a number of Pauls in my life as a Timothy. One is my own dad, who's here, and my mom, both of them together. Uh, but I remember in college, I had a, a friend named David Palmer, uh, who was a real influence to me during seminary. I had a good, uh, one of the professors there named Scott Manage. He was a Reformation um, uh, professor, was, was, became really close with me. I was mentored by him. I actually lived in his house for a summer, Jess and I both. Um, it, uh, someone who was close to me, continually learning from him. Now that I'm you know, a little on the older side, not old, uh, but I, you know, again, I still want Pauls in my life, whether that's other pastors that I look to uh, here in town and gain wisdom from them, or really honestly, a lot of dead guys. So I, I look to the books, you know, C.S. Lewis and George Whitfield in particular. Always want to be a Timothy who's looking for a Paul. Always want to be teachable and humble. Never in a place where I feel like I've got it all together, I've got nothing to learn, I don't need to change anything about my life, everything's perfect. No, always be in a place where you're looking and ready to change and to grow and to learn. And third thing that we learn, I think, here from Timothy's life, follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Be ready to go. <laughs> Imagine that, Timothy. Didn't expect this. Paul comes in. He spends some time there, however long. And then Paul says, I got a proposition for you, Timothy. I want you to come with me. And where we're going, I'm not exactly sure. And your safety and health are definitely in question. And Timothy says, all right, I'll go pack. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Imagine that sort of readiness to follow the Holy Spirit. Friends, I would just say for you in your walk with the Lord, if you have a a place where you can say to the Lord, I'm yours, use me. Whatever way you want, I'm yours, you lead me. Whatever you want to do with my life, I'm in your hands. I am confident that the Lord will bless that as he leads by his spirit. That's one thing I love about uh, doing uh, mission work. Uh, you know, when you're on the mission field, it, it, there's a sense in which you just gotta, you gotta be in this place where you say, all right, Lord, whatever you want, <laughs> you lead and you guide me. I remember I went to, to Nepal uh, the first time and uh, this was clearly what, what happened. You're at a place where you say, okay, God, if you want me to go scrub toilets, then I'll go scrub toilets. If you want me to preach, if you want me to, whatever you want me to do, I'll go and do it. And, and that, that mentality, God tends to bless that reality. And I just took a little bit of a journal of my own uh, sort of time there. This is just some of it. So Paul Miller, who was with me, will remember a lot of this. But it just kind of demonstrates the, uh, the way the Holy Spirit sort of leads. Let me read you a little bit. I won't read too much because I don't want to bore you with this. But uh, on October 14, 2014, in the morning was planning a five-minute message from Luke 18, uh, but I asked Dan, he's sort of the uh, Napolese leader of the the trip, how long the devotional should be. He said, 30 minutes. So I'm preparing a five-minute message. He says, 30. Okay, Lord, whatever you want. I preached at about 7.30 a.m., and it went amazing by God's grace. Continued on from Luke 18 to preach on the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector. They were very encouraged. Paul Miller became very ill, and Sylvanus, another Nepalese guy, and I went to the hospital with him, The hospital was a sight to see. It was unclean, very basic and disorganized. Paul was eventually diagnosed with typhoid fever. But as we considered the symptoms and the fact that he had a vaccination, we were almost certain this was a misdiagnosis. (laughs) He He did not have, even though the doctors diagnosed him, the healthcare system seems very sketchy. 
Uh, October 15, 2014, preached again this morning on Luke 18, this time on the children coming to Jesus and the rich young ruler. It went well again, praise God. Really enjoyed preaching to these people, and they seemed to respond very well to my preaching. One pastor there asked if I would preach at his church next time I'm in Nepal. After some breakfast, uh, Dan and I headed out to visit a family in the mountains. Their son lives in the U.S. and is a Christian who attends Dan's church. The family, however, are Hindus. As we're driving up, Dan asked if I would share the gospel with them. I did. Dan translated. They were not open to it. The mom said something about him getting healed from his sickness. Uh, Dan later explained that uh, they think Christianity is all about physical healing rather than spiritual salvation. Um, At the end, I asked if they had any questions. One person replied, since we do not believe this religion, we have no questions. This stung a little bit. I thanked him for listening, uh, and we had a good Nepali lunch and headed out. After picking up Paul, we went to see a Buddhist temple up on a mountain. Our driver said the last time we were there, he saw a tiger. Uh, the tigers like to eat the dogs there in Nepal. So they got lots of roaming dogs, and tigers come around because they eat the dogs. That's what happens. Drove up most of the way, climbed up the stairs. The view was spectacular. Could see one of the peaks of the Himalayas opening in the sky. October 16, 2014. I enjoyed tra- traveling throughout Pokhara with John and Sylvanus. Visited a river that flowed with white water due to the limestone. Visited that same temple again, and this time you could see the Himalayas more clearly. An impressive waterfall came uh, to the shore of the lake. I sat on a panel discussion for questions. Listen to these discussion questions. Many of the questions were very challenging, such as, should women wear head coverings? Uh, uh, Should women be pastors? How do you grow a church? Are there different levels of heaven? What should a polygamist man do with his two wives? And so forth. I answered to the best of my ability. I hope it was helpful to them. Later, we checked in on Paul, uh, who decided he would try to make the trip to Chitwan the next day. In the last entry, October 17th, ended up ended our time at the leadership conference with a lot of prayer. We had the church planters come forward and kneel. And we, that is Dan, Jason, John, Paul, and I, prayed for them. Then we had the existing pastors come forward and prayed for them. Then we had two guys, uh, two folks, Sylvanus and his wife, and a pastor also named Dan, different Dan, and his wife come forward. We prayed for them as Sylvanus and this Dan were both leaving the country. Sylvanus to the U.S. in New York City with his wife. Dan to Malaysia without his wife. I find it very difficult to think of a husband and a father leaving his family behind to go pastor overseas. But as this revival breaks out in Nepal and among Nepalese around the world, sacrifices are being made. There's something about just living in a sense of, okay, Lord, what's next? And following the Holy Spirit. That's not just for when we're on a mission trip, friends. <laughs> That's for all of life. Are we willing to say, oh, Lord, I am yours. And where you lead me, like Timothy, where you lead me, I will go. Be teachable. Be ready to serve. Look at verses 6 to 10. The Holy Spirit guiding his people. Let's take a closer look at the Holy Spirit. They travel far and wide. So you may have noticed when I was reading this, all the different place names. Uh, Luke, the author of this, was a physician, was a doctor by training, so an educated man. And he is very, very cautious to make sure he gets the names right and the geography right for wherever he's going. Which I think is really interesting because you see all this miraculous stuff happening in the book of Acts as well. So if he's so careful on each historical point in geography... Why would he just make up stuff when it comes to the miracles, right? No, he's careful to record things as they really happen. He's not writing a fictional story. He's writing 
history as he sees it and as he experiences it. But they go to Phrygia and Galatia. And notice it says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to Asia. I find that interesting. The Holy Spirit said, no, not Asia, not yet. So they come to a place called Mysia, and it says again, the Spirit of Jesus doesn't allow them to go to Bithynia. So they end up in Troas, and they're in Troas, they're probably figuring out, where do you want us to go, Lord? Because <laughs> we keep get hitting a roadblock every time we're trying to go to a specific direction. And so what happens? They have a vision in the night, this man of Macedonia, who comes to them and says, uh, the vision says, I want you to come to Macedonia, come to Macedonia and help us. By the way, this is where Luke seems to join the party, because before this, he describes them as they did this, and they went here, and they went there. And now he says, we went here and we went there in in verse 10. So he seems to join the the, uh, mission team at that point in time. But notice that the Holy Spirit is is guiding them. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus. Sometimes just the Spirit with a capital S, all referring to the same, the third person of the Trinity. Who, as I said, is always at work in the book of Acts. But here, he moves from the background to the foreground. How does he lead them? What does it mean that he forbid them to go to a certain area? I don't know. It doesn't actually spell it out. Does that just mean that they all had the same sense? This this inner subjective feeling? We're not supposed to go to Asia. I just know it. Was it the circumstances? I mean, was it there was a big road closed sign that said, you know, no, can't go to Asia? I mean, what does it mean that the, the Holy Spirit forbid them to go? And the answer is it's not really important the means that he used to forbid them. It's just the clarity of the fact that he's the one leading and guiding. Clearly, one way he leads is through a vision right here, right? This man of Macedonia. People have talked about, who is this man of Macedonia? Is that uh, Luke or is that, you know, uh, one early church father, I think, said it was Alexander the Great. I don't know where he came up with that, but it's probably just a generic person from Macedonia who is pleading them to come there and help. Friends, how does the Holy Spirit lead? He leads in all different ways. But he always leads in line with his word. Never contradicts his word. This is so important, friends. Sometimes people will say to me, Rick, I think the Holy Spirit is calling me to leave my spouse because he wants me to be with this other woman. And my answer is, no, he is not. (laughs) You know why? Because he's already spoken to this and he never contradicts himself. He's not a liar. And he's not inconsistent. Whatever he says, he always says in line with his word. And keep in mind, friends, there are other spirits besides the Holy Spirit who are at work trying to deceive. So your sense and your feeling may not be of God. It may be from something else. But he uses all these different things. He used, does he use, still use visions in dreams? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, absolutely, he still does this at times. I had mentioned in the service, I said, you know, that uh, God at times, uh, Jesus still at times perhaps reveals himself as Jesus himself appears to somebody in a vision or dream. I said, you know, we talked about how this is happening around the world. I said, but probably nobody here, right? Well, guess what? Right after the service, somebody came up to me and said, Pastor Rick, I just want to let you know that there was a time in my life where I had a reoccurring dream of Jesus that was part of how the Lord led me to faith. So yes, absolutely, that's one way. It's not the only way, but certainly he does. He speaks to us in prayer. When we go, we spend time with him. He speaks to us in our conscience. 
The early theologians called it the quickening of the conscience, meaning it comes to life. You, you, you sense things there in your conscience, what is right and what is wrong, where the Lord may be leading you. Sometimes it's just this overwhelming feeling. I've had folks in our congregation say, I could not not go. <laughs> I could not not go. There was just, I, the Lord put, me, put it on me and I was going and I could not not go. It was going to happen. Sometimes it is circumstances that he makes his will clear. The, the scripture talks about it as an open door. The Lord opens a door for ministry. That's one way he makes his leading clear. I, I could look at a number of different places which in our, in our church here, where I can certainly see how the Holy Spirit led in, in a number of different ways. I think my own coming and staying here, that wasn't the plan in the beginning, <laughs> to come and to pastor here. It's the church I sort of grew up in uh, as a Christian, but the Holy Spirit, I think, clearly led uh, Jess and I here back home and then opened the doors for us to stay. Just as we're ready to leave, the associate pastor left and an opening Happens. Then we're ready to leave again, and the senior pastor has to retire early because of an illness, and the Lord continues to lead. I think the merger itself was providential within God's hands, and His Spirit led to that. I just talked about mission work. I, I, I almost guarantee I would not be in Nepal if it wasn't for the fact that there has to be a person in our congregation, a couple in our congregation, who want to go to Nepal, and the Lord leads and opens doors that, that way. Certainly when it comes to preaching, friends, you know, there's a prayerful seeking of the Holy Spirit and His leading. I would just say this, though, as a good uh, caution, when it comes to sensing and trying to understand the Holy Spirit's leading, which I get this question all the time, by the way, how does the Holy Spirit lead? Keep in mind that, the, that you're a limited and fallen person, and so what you believe about the Holy Spirit's leading needs to be in check. <laughs> you're not God, you're not a prophet, as far as I know, so listen to the counsel and the wisdom of others. Never think that what you believe is absolutely 100% certainly the will of God. Be willing to listen. Uh, there's a story of George Whitfield, whom I mentioned earlier. And Whitfield uh, used to believe, he was a great evangelist here in the United States and in England. He used to believe that that inner sense, that subjective feeling, was clearly the Lord's uh, leading and that it was certain and authoritative. Well, he had a young son. And he believed that the Lord put on his heart that his young son would become the next great preacher, the next great evangelist. And he would tell people he was certain because the Lord had told him subjectively in his feelings. Well, sadly, his young son died in infancy. And he said, it was the Lord's chastening to humble me in my confidence of knowing his will. Always, friends, be humble about knowing for certain the Lord's will. It's one of the reasons why we need the church, by the way. Listen to the counsel of others. Talk to other people. I think God wants me to do this. What do you think? Listen to others. When it comes to finding out what ministry he wants you to be involved in. You know, this, is it, you feel like God is calling you to be a pastor, maybe. Uh, I got people that do that all the time. Well, does anybody else believe that? You know, there's a story of the man who believed that he had the gift of teaching, uh, but nobody else did. So he taught a class, and he had two people in the class, his wife and one person who had the gift of mercy. That was the only people in his, uh, his Bible study. So what does is, what is the, the community, what does the church say when it comes to the Lord's leading? Is, are they behind you? And particularly, I think, your pastors and your elders seeking their advice and their leading in any given situation. Yes, the Holy Spirit still leads us today. Of course he does. We're still his people. And he's still with us. Let's look at Lydia in 11 to 15. 
one more work of the Holy Spirit in doing guiding and transforming. 11 to 15, we look at Lydia. So they travel afar again, Troas to Samothrace to Neapolis, which just means new city. And they end up in Philippi, um, which is a great city where one of the places that Paul actually writes a letter to. But Philippi is in Macedonia. So they came to Macedonia as the vision kind of pointed them in that direction. Uh, actually, Macedonia is a, uh, one of the leading cities in Mac- uh, excuse me, Philippi is one of the leading cities in Macedonia. And it's a Roman colony, so it has an influence throughout the Roman Empire. You can see the, Lord, the Lord's uh, wisdom in guiding them there. They sort of camp out there. They stay there for a while. And then on the Sabbath day, uh, they go to the river because they hear there's a prayer meeting there. And they sit down with a group of women who, are, who gather there. These are not Christian women, but these are women who are worshipers of God. So they have a general sense of God. And there they go and spend some time talking to them about the Lord Jesus. And by the way, Luke, throughout uh, the, the book of Acts, makes a point to show how God is at work with men and how God is at work with women. And he always wants to keep that balance. There's no privilege of one over the other. God is at work in all of us. But then they meet particularly one woman named Lydia. She's from the city of Thyatira, but she's moved here to Philippi. She is a businesswoman. Uh, she sells purple cloth. And if you know anything about, you've probably heard this before, purple cloth was a rare dye. Not everybody had uh, purple, so it was typically sold to royalty or at least to the wealthy. Uh, so she was probably a pretty successful, independent businesswoman in the first century. This is an impressive lady right here uh, from the start, in my opinion. Uh, worshiper of God, as I said. Uh, she comes out to this prayer meeting every Sabbath, most likely. And by God's grace, she comes to believe. The Lord opens her heart to receive the message of the gospel that Paul preaches. She becomes a Christian. She gets baptized, which again is a statement of confidence that she sort of leads the way in getting baptized, which may alienate her from the rest of the group. Um, And then she leads her family. She goes to her household and leads them also to faith. And then she invites, or maybe demands, (laughs) the apostles to come and stay at her house. You can kind of read between the lines there. We'll look at that in in just a minute. But she is an example, I think, to us of somebody who is strong and generous. Strong and generous. She appears to be the leader of this group of women. Now, it doesn't say that, so I want to be careful. But you can almost get the impression that Lydia is probably the leader of this group of women who are out there praying. She is a prayerful person uh, before she even knew Jesus. She is a successful business person. We talked about that. She leads the way when it comes to baptism, and she leads her own household. Whether her husband was dead, we don't know uh, what happened there. She also has a gift of hospitality. She invites the apostles over, which is a big deal. In the first century, hospitality was everything. (laughs) I mean, when you took somebody into your home, you took their protection into your home, and you helped them in any way that they needed to be helped. So you can assume she was generous. She feeds them. And again, she has this sort of personality. She says, if, if you think I'm a Christian, then come to my house. Right? I mean, <laughs> you can see the way she's kind of uh, forcing their, their hand. You, know, you might want to move on and go to the next city. But if you actually think I'm a Christian, come to my house tonight. And as it says, he ends by saying, she prevailed upon us. There was no way you're going to say no to Lydia. She wanted them over. They were coming over. Friends, I, I love people like this. Sort of a toughness. Strong and firm, but yet generous and hospitable and compassionate. I love sisters in Christ like this, by the way. Strong personality, gifted, but also a big-hearted, compassionate person. 
I, I love Sisters in Christ like this so much that I married one. And she became the mother of my two kids, right? So, and I'm the son of one, by the way. Let's learn from Lydia. Let's learn from her. Be, be tough. <laughs> this is a rough world, friends. I mean, if you're thinking that you're going to become a Christian, everything gets better, and it's a smooth sailing road from that point forward, absolutely not. There's a certain toughness. Being a, a businesswoman in the first century as a woman must have been very difficult, but she grabs life by the horns, you know? That's what I want for my kids. What do I want for my daughter? Be, be tough. I, I uh, have my daughter involved in mixed martial arts, so I wanted, I, hey, I, I wanted to be a, a tough girl, know how to handle herself. Be hospitable. Open your home to people. I love folks like this. One reason being, because this is a challenge for me. You know, home is my little sacred spot. I don't open it as, as much as I should, but I love people in the church who are like this, always opening their home to anyone that wants to come and stay with them. All of our community group hosts, of course, do this as well. They're willing to open their home. And friends, we as a church, family, should be hospitable. Here on Sunday mornings, yes, this isn't our, our home where our family lives, but this is where our church family lives. And any visitors that come here should be always feel welcome. Make sure we make a point to... Tell them that and to welcome them and introduce yourself. Hospitality is a Christian virtue in Scripture. If you do this, like Lydia, you may find the Holy Spirit working in you powerfully so that unbeknownst to you, like Lydia here, she finds herself in the book of Acts. <laughs> or really, more importantly, helping the apostles and disciples reach the Roman Empire. Friends, the Holy Spirit works with us, guiding and transforming. Like Timothy, let's be teachable, be humble, willing to look at authority and recognize authority, not always feeling you have to go against it, ready to serve, ready to go wherever God calls us to go. Like Lydia, strong-hearted, tough, but generous and hospitable. The Holy Spirit works with his people. When we study the book of Acts, friends, this is not a, an academic exercise. This is not a history lesson. This is not just reading a nice story. We're looking how God has worked with his people and confident that he continues to work with his people. May God raise up Timothy's and Lydia's, but also Lois's and Eunice's, the mother and grandmother of Timothy, Paul's, Luke's, words recording this very thing as we look at the story continuing on until Christ returns. I want to end with a, a, a hymn. I'm sure you've heard the words of this before, if you've sung this song before, but He leadeth me. As we think about the Holy Spirit's leading, think of the words, He leadeth me. O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught, whatever I do, wherever I be, Still tis Christ's hand that leadeth me. Sometimes mid scenes of deepest gloom, sometimes where Eden's bowers bloom, by waters still or over troubled sea, still tis his hand that leadeth me. And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory's won, even death's cold wave I will not flee, since thou in triumph Lead us me. Pray with me.
Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that as we learn from your word, you lead us not as one who sits afar from us, but one who is in our midst, who is with your people, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who is doing a work of guiding us so that as we look back in our lives, Lord, we can see your hand, yes, even in the midst of suffering, yes, even in the midst of our rebellion and sin, your hand still leadeth and guideth us. But also doing this work of transformation in us, Lord, molding us to the image of Jesus, teaching us to be more like Timothy, having a certain humility and teachability, always willing to listen, always willing to learn. And yet, always be willing to say, Lord, use me in whatever way you will and desire, and following your leading. Molding us to the image of Jesus, in a sense, making us more like Lydia, Lord. Strong, tough in this world, yet generous, hospitable, compassionate. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is with us, and he will be with us, until death, or even better, till Christ's return. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.